From being adopted and raised in the Midwest, Scott Mason became an attorney and worked for New York City's government, to now being a motivational speaker and podcaster. He even shares a heartfelt story about how a boss told him to commit suicide. Hmm. My favorite thing that he said was, don't be afraid of the bad that can happen. If you're seeking your calling and committed to it from a service perspective, time and the process will lead you there. Stay tuned for his inspirational journey. You don't want to miss it. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. And today, my guest is the incredible Scott Mason. Welcome to the show, Scott. I am so glad to be here and thank you for having me. Well, thank you for, for being here after, you know, that we had some technical glitches and, <laughs> you know, since the year of 2020, it seems to be the norm. Nothing is out of the ordinary anymore. <laughs> and, and you know what? The beautiful thing is we had a sense of humor about it. And that's part of the whole theme, right? Investing in people and understanding that these things happen and being there for each other that way. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to <laughs> give a shout out to Sajel Thacker for introducing mm. us, because yes. which was what? two months ago, maybe a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as we started talking, it was like, oh my gosh, we've been separated at birth. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Instant connection. I've loved every second of it. And you're from uh, the Midwest. So that's exactly, you know, where I'm from. So it's like we're kindred spirits. Totally. It's hard to believe it. Um, but the Midwest does sort of bring something out in folks. It's its own unique culture. Although sometimes I think we can forget that being from there. Exactly. I, I try to forget it most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hold you to that. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Scott Mason is a motivational and keynote speaker, just in case you couldn't tell of his voice. He's got an amazing voice. Focusing on connecting us to our higher purpose to build a better self and a better world, as well as the host of Scott Mason's Purpose Highway podcast. Additionally, he is the principal of Scott Mason LLC, which provides small businesses consulting services regarding operations, revenue growth, and strategy planning, in addition to leadership and management mentoring services. Prior to that, he was the co-principal and the president of the Brooklyn Press, a silkscreen printing company with locations in New York City and Newburgh, New York. Previously, Scott was the general counsel and vice president of operations for Urban Resource Institute, the USA's largest provider of domestic violence shelter services and an operator of homeless shelters. He also spent nearly 20 years in executive and in-house counsel positions in various city of New York's agencies, including a time as the second in command of the agency, which operates the city's administrative tribunal system. You can find out more about his information on his website at scottmasonllc.com. Wow, wow, wow. I am just honored to have you here today, Scott. So thank you. You made me sound so impressive. I don't know how you did that. Good job. <laughs> it's my uh, it's my voiceover voice. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> so Scott, I always like to start off with uh, the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? Mm -hmm. From a business perspective, 
I feel something very strongly with regards to the concept of people being an investment. Mm-hmm. That is understanding that there is absolutely nothing more critical to the bottom line than understanding that human beings are exactly how they're commonly described in the HR world. They are capital. And they're not capital as is often viewed in purely financial terms as an expense. They are every bit as much of a long-term project that if nurtured and watered can explode in and translate into um, profound organizational growth, long-term development, and sustainability more so than any other asset including physical assets like property. We tend to sometimes in business terms attempt to quantify the contribution of um, people based on the um, salary that they might have or the direct ROI that they might be producing in terms of whatever KPIs or other metrics that you use to determine the P&L and balance sheet success of an organization. Understanding that human beings are an investment with a far longer strategic um, and far deeper strategic import and impact is at the heart of what investing in people is all about. Um, And I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot more as this podcast goes on. But in summary, that's that's my conceptualization of it. Mm, It's beautifully said that and so true. You know, it almost makes me wonder if we need to start coming up with a new balance sheet of how our, our employees, other people are the assets, you know, the, the, the expense is the, their income, but the people themselves are the asset. That's actually a brilliant idea. Uh, And it would be very interesting to see how that balance sheet plays out as well as having performance metrics that were somehow tied to things like employee engagement, um, employee satisfaction, employee longevity, all these other things that would um, be directly tied to some of these other more traditional KPIs that monitor the performance of an organization over time, or at least to see if they would be correlated and how they would correlate with the those more traditional financial metrics. I know folks have done studies about that, but not too many organizations, to my knowledge, are measuring them together regularly. Well, and it just kind of makes sense, especially in the world that we live in today is totally different than uh, what we were a year ago and how um, I think the, the opportunity that we got in 2020 or that we have in 2020 of being isolated and being self-distanced is working from home is to really realize how important people are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting too, because people sometimes are viewed, um, if they're viewed as assets at all, or if they are viewed as investments, however, they're viewed financially within the organization. They are as often as not um, viewed as something that is variable. Um, for instance, as a cost, they are some, they're not, they're a fixed expense, of course, once we know what their salary is. But when it comes to things like bonuses or performance, all of those things are variables that managers are paid and, and human capital specialists are paid a significant amount of money to be able to maintain, grow, or dispose of when they're fit with the company or their utility is no longer there. It's interesting though, because real estate, 
by contrast, has been principally viewed as an asset that is more stable and or grows over time, particularly if there's ownership. Um, but even if there are leases involved and the leases are of any significance, sometimes those are viewed as stable assets if there is to be a purchase or evaluation of a company. What this pandemic has shown us is the actual volatility of some of these other things that have been considered less volatile than human capital. Um, and in a way, as you've said, the the pandemic and our the social distancing has ripped apart that veil and exposed the profound stability that a lot of human capital is bringing to organizational life and how create human creativity has been what's kept a lot of organizations afloat. Mm, absolutely. And and I love that you said that. And you also mentioned the word responsibility, ownership responsibility. And just thinking from a human capital um, standpoint, how often do we see owner responsibility for our own actions as someone in the company or someone who's starting a business? So many oftentimes we will place our job performance on or business performance on something else, right? That it's somebody else's fault. It's because the clients aren't, aren't buying or the economy is down or whatever the case may be. And we don't take ownership in what we have to bring to the table on our own growth. Like you mentioned, what we are not doing. So I love that you mentioned the ownership responsibility part. It's interesting because so many organizations, particularly large organizations that have become either due to the very nature of their um, of their purpose, like government agencies, or due to the cultures that the leadership at whatever, usually upper levels, have brought into the organization to become highly politicized. In those sorts of organizations, self-accountability or accountability generally um, becomes a word that is tantamount to punishment mm. as opposed to alternative definitions of it, which relate to understanding and owning the mistakes that we've made or the things that we've done well, or the things that we could improve on that aren't necessarily evidence of bad performance. They're just not optimized. And then choosing to act on that and committing to um, developing and engaging with the self-discipline necessary to be able to consistently make those actions actualize and, and blossom um, as permanent features of that organizational culture. The reason I think that that is so problematic and why that ties into what you just said is that particularly the issue of self-discipline and culture tie into whether we can be self-accountable accountable at all. You know, having owned a small business, I found that the hardest thing of all was being self-accountable, saying these mm. sales didn't happen or we got we had worse margins as we negotiated this deal or the client is unhappy or they, they have gone to another vendor because of our actions. Right. Even if there were external factors involved, it's up to us as leaders to adapt mm. or to move on. Mm. Um, that's the hardest thing there is to do. It takes a lot of ego self-discipline. Not everyone is prepared to do that. Right. So speaking of that, let's, let's take a step back and talk about Scott growing up. Like what there was... Was there any obstacles that you faced that you were like, you know, I faced this, I've overcome it, and now I want to help others kind of do the same? 
<laughs> you can't even get that one out with a straight face, can you? <laughs> As you mentioned earlier, I grew up in Kansas, and I actually have an interesting life situation that goes as to a lot of my understanding and passion about investing as people and understanding that they are assets and capital that need to be developed. So I was actually originally born in London, England. I am biracial. I was a child of a white English woman and a man that was um, in England to study law. Um, She was in graduate school. They had me as a child. At that time, uh, having a child in the middle of graduate school was unacceptable, but also um, having a biracial child was problematic too. And so I was promptly put up for adoption and um, adopted by some people that were in the service, some African-Americans who then um, left England where they were stationed during that adoption and moved to Kansas where I grew up. And it was a very, very challenging environment for me. The area I grew up in was semi-rural. I, you know, would look out at the stars at night. I remember going on five to seven mile runs every day in the cornfields mm. and in the wheat fields. And and it was a primarily white milieu that I grew, in, grew up in, particularly at, at school. But my parents went to, who were African-American, went to an African-American church and had African-American social circles. And it was very odd being someone who looked visibly different from everyone around me. Interracial marriages were not common at that time. Certainly interracial children just sort of popping out of the air as the children of, of, of parents that were not interracial was right. unusual. Um, and so I really felt I didn't have a social milieu that was my own. And that became all the more challenging as I grew into my later teenage years and realized that I was LGBTQ as well. And so that further put me into a box or outside of a box that was already outside of a number of different boxes. Um, And because of that, there were situations that I was in, even in high school, where what I might have brought to the table really wasn't appreciated. In the work world, even in New York City, that was somewhat of a problem as well. And all of those sorts of the obstacles that came with that, and, um, you know, I had you know, a teacher make a negative remark about my ability to learn due to my racial background in front of the entire class one time. And, and, um, you know, you have these sorts of things happen and they make you realize that the, that if you're, if people are willing to categorize you as an undesirable employee or less than, or not teachable or any of a whole host of other things, not, not, someone that should be put in front of clients or or whatever, uh, because of these invidious characteristics, then you beca- begin to really understand, especially if you're someone like me that's naturally interested and inclined um, to think about organizational dynamics just as a matter of personal interest, that there's hidden impacts, mm-hmm. that there are opportunity costs associated with outright dismissal of the capacity of others. That was the origin of a lot of this and why I feel so passionately about it and something I've struggled throughout with throughout my career. But I do view those struggles in a way as gifts because it's given me empathy and the ability to speak with passion about it to people like you today. Do you think that what you went through in high school from that um, teacher who said, you know, you're not going to learn as well really was a driving force to make you go, hey, I can do make a difference here. I can continue to further my uh, education and go on to law school and do all the amazing things that you've done. Or do you think it, well, I'll let you, I'll let you answer that. (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, 
although that particular teacher said that I did have other teachers that saw potential in me and mm-hmm. I generally got good grades. And in my community, I knew some other people that saw that I had gifts and chose to mentor me. So with the backing belief of some people out there, yeah. The negative voices at least weren't the only ones that I was hearing. I was very conscious of the fact that in my case, uh, there were those positive voices. Other people don't necessarily have those sorts of voices out there. And I think my situation may have been different if I didn't have any sort of balance hearing all of this. I do feel that, you know, Shay, I always tell people at night, and New York City is so different this way. At night, I'd go out into the backyard or look out the window um, of my bedroom. Sometimes I would fantasize that Bigfoot would be out there stalking me. <laughs> but other times that were a little more serene, I would look up at the stars and I would dream about how there had to be more for me. Mm. And on some level, that experience really was about understanding that there was human capital within me that was being wasted Mm -hmm. and that those opportunities would be best found elsewhere. When I was in law school, I went and worked for a large law firm in the Kansas City metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a fascinating experience because um, there were golf outings that occurred. And during one of the golf outings, I found out that the only, some of the women were not invited at all. And the only men who were not invited were me and the other intern who was a person of color. He was Mexican American. Mm. And, um, you know, perhaps that was coincidence that the only males that were invited were white ones and that some of the women were not invited as well. Perhaps it was coincidence, but I I, I find that to be an unusual coincidence. Yeah. And it was one of those things where how we choose to deal with adversity um, can determine the course of our future forever. Because the opportunity costs that are there for the company when they choose to ignore talent um, is one thing. But we have opportunity costs in our own lives. Uh, You know, as you and I discussed in our pre-interview, our lives have a number of different set paths that we can walk on. Yeah. And those paths, I believe, are designed for each of us to manifest our ultimate potential if we choose to walk that path. If we choose not to walk that path because we choose to believe that the the words that people might have or the exclusions that people attempt to impose on us means that we are not destined to be everything that we can be, then we end up actually squandering a lot of that potential. So I do actually firmly believe, and this goes back to what you mentioned earlier about self-accountability as leaders, it is absolutely incumbent upon us to be self-accountable and make sure that all of the pathways are presented to our staff and that we are not foreclosing opportunity costs with regards to our organizations. But Part of the personal growth process that all of us need to go through as employees or in any role in life is around being self-accountable for our own reactions to things. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, um, I'm so many nuggets that you said in there. So I'm just thinking we have a choice, right? We have, we can choose to respond. We can choose to react. And you had, thank goodness, thank God that you had enough of the positive feeding you, 
feeding into you, pouring into you um, rather than the negative where I had the negative. So it took me a long time to pull myself out of that where you Mm -hmm. had the positive. It really allowed you to say, you know what, that person over there, that teacher over there doesn't really know what she's talking about because all these other people are proving him or her wrong. Right. Yeah. And then you took it a step further and said, well, I'm going to really make sure that I show up as a leader by really being inclusive to everyone, because I have felt where I'm not included. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, but it does raise something interesting about this concept of self-accountability and opportunity costs, Uh, because the danger about the danger of ignoring the opportunity costs of excluding people or not seeing the full range of potential um, investment opportunities, so to speak, that any individual can present to an organization as a leader. That's one downside of refusal to be self-accountable, particularly with regards to a leader's inner relationship with their staff in an organization. Mm -hmm. But another one is the potential cost that that behavior can have upon your conscience because you don't know exactly what you're talking about, what baggage that person may be coming with, yeah. what they what they may be going through inside. You know, I had a boss once tell me in front of my staff and in front of my subordinates too, that when I talk, I sound so stupid, I should just buy a gun, point it in my mouth and shoot. Wow. Now, wow, a boss, there's the opportunity a boss cost. told you that. That's yes, yes, oh, it was the head insane. of a government agency. Ugh. And, um, you know, there were the opportunity costs that were associated with me then choosing to leave that organization. And there were the opportunity costs that were associated with other people who probably were willing to, less willing to fully engage with that boss because they were afraid that she would encourage them to commit suicide or otherwise humiliate them in front of everyone as well. But, you know, when she made that remark, which to her might have just been a sort of off-the-cuff sort of thing to say, she didn't know me. For all she knew, I could have been someone who was dealing with profound depression. I could have had a death in my family. I could have been very seriously sick and in pain. I could have been going through anything. And I could have said, okay, I'll do that. Thank you. And gone home and killed myself. Yeah. You you hear stories about bosses doing that thing to people. You know, that those sorts of things happening to bosses who behave in certain ways to human beings. When it comes to terminations, for instance, a boss can never be accountable for the mental state of the person. But sometimes where people are very fragile or may have uh, instability in their lives, a brutal termination or a brutal Passover of, of someone for an opportunity or, or just day-to-day um, brutality in terms of the treatment that people have to each other in the workplace can trigger things that we cannot even imagine. Yeah, definitely. And you hit the nail on the head. I think we have no idea what people are going through, so we don't know what could trigger another person. And while we aren't necessarily a hundred percent personally responsible. We're talking about responsibility here, personally responsible for that other person, making sure that we don't trigger them. We are at least 50%. I would say we are at least, at least a, a, a on a conscious level, we are responsible to make sure that we are saying something that, that allows that other person to live up to their full potential, their full purpose, rather than, 
triggering them into something that, you know, could possibly end their life. What a, wow. I can't imagine being in that situation. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. It was actually a seminal life experience. And although I'm not grateful that she did it, I learned so much from that. And my response to it ultimately set me on a path that changed my life so much for the better that I actually, believe it or not, don't air, um, don't, you know, bear a lot of ill will towards her. Um, those that might have been more fragile, though, um, I feel differently about. And they may have a much harsher self-assessment of her. Yeah. And um, so I'm curious now, how did that, how did that change the trajectory of your life? I know you, you went on to work with, um, well, I don't know if that was the same time frame or not, but one, you started your own company, but you also worked with um, domestic and homeless shelters, domestic violence, yeah. and homeless shelters. Yeah, it's interesting. So at that point, I had become growing, increasingly dissatisfied with my time in government service. And a lot of that was, I would say, a maybe even a majority of it. Some of it was that I wasn't necessarily feeling deeply connected with my own inner purpose and my own inner calling. And so that always has a negative impact. And that was making ongoing government service more and more challenging for me, even though I was getting promotion after promotion after promotion. Um, the other thing, though, and the thing that directly um, was a result of that particular incident was that it was the only time I said, okay, I will leave this job I will take one more government job. It was a high-level position, so in a way, that position was too difficult to resist. But it will be the last job I take if this pattern repeats itself. You know, a common complaint in government service is that management was poor because Mm -hmm. there's not an investment in people within the structure of most government organizations. Yes, there were leadership academies. Yes, there were government academies. But in government, I found that the two major currencies for um, uh, the accretion of power and responsibility were technical knowledge and or connection to political power. Neither of those necessarily equate to strong leadership ability. Um, Someone isn't going to be a brilliant, for instance, chief legal officer just because they write an excellent legal brief. It's a totally different, it's a totally different mindset. And so what I had observed was that a lot of the leadership that I was under was by technocrats, or like I said, people that just wanted power. Um, The next job that I had, there was an incident where I wrote a brief for my boss, a a memo, I should say. And I'd been to work. I was there till about 1230 the night before putting together that memo. And when I gave my boss that memo, there was a paragraph in it that she didn't like. And when she saw that paragraph, she became very angry and, um, She had on a black suit. I'll never forget it. She said, I don't like this. No one gives me what I want. This paragraph needs to be removed. It needs to be removed. And then she began to jump up and down. And she had a whiteboard. And she began to pound her fist against the um, whiteboard saying, people do not give me what I want. No one gives me one. That isn't what I asked for. Why didn't you give me what I want? And I'll never forget it. The rest of that day, this was in the morning. Now, what I did ultimately is I just simply went back to my office and cut the paragraph out. And the memo was fine. It went out. Um, But the rest of that day... I remember I walked back to my office, called up my husband, said, I'm going to be fired. I'll see you tonight. <laughs> and did nothing the rest of the day because I had to decompress. I was waiting for the termination, sure. all of that sort of thing. Now, she later came, you know, some time later and apologized and, you know, admitted that 
a, a bad paragraph in a memo that was removed within two seconds wasn't worth yelling and screaming and pounding on a whiteboard about. But by that time, the damage was done. So between that and the the I'll threaten you with suicide incident, I said, you know, to myself, okay, I'm my I think my time with I need to be in a different line of work. And interestingly enough, years later. Someone who worked at a very, very senior most level of government said, you know, why did you lead government? The government needs people like you there, Scott, strong leaders, people that are committed, that are passionate and have the intellectual capacity. And I, I told her, that's why. <laughs> you know, if you if you are if you if you let your best people be abused, they won't stay there. You end up with this right. sort of um, culture of mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing I will say about switching over to nonprofit work was that the people were good-hearted, mm-hmm. and I found that generally in nonprofit. There may be all sorts of other dysfunctions that occur in those organizations as just a function of them being human organizations full of humans. They're not evil people. They're mm-hmm. committing their lives, right? If you're working 60, 70 hour a week sometime yeah. to make sure that domestic violence victims are safe, if you're staying in a shelter, if you're a minimum wage making security guard that's staying in a shelter for days on end because there's a snowstorm and other security people can't get in there, mm-hmm. you're not an evil person. And there's real power in that. Mm-hmm. I, I I so agree with you. It's why... Uh, I, I volunteer with a couple of veteran organizations um, for um, nonprofits because I, I agree. Anyone who has a heart to give back, there's just something genuine about them that you can't fake. Yeah. Even if you yep. tried, you can't fake. It'll show up eventually. Right. Totally. Es- especially since you have any skill at all. Uh, if you have any skill whatsoever, you can be working somewhere else for more. Yeah. Just being there, making that salary um, under the physical conditions that a lot of them are working for. It's not like, you know, the government is pouring tons of money into homeless shelters to make them glamorous. Right, right, right. So I really want to kind of shift gears now because I know you've started your own business and I know that you've started a podcast. And the theme of your podcast is really around purpose. And I want to know what steps or how did you figure it out? Or maybe you're still in the process of how do you find, what advice would you give to someone who's looking for their purpose? Yeah. Uh, First of all, and I'll tell you a little story that will hopefully illuminate that. After I separated with my business partner, because we had different visions for the company. And once that separation occurred, I realized this was the chance for me really to figure out why I was on this earth and to move in that direction. Mm. Now I live near central park Mm -hmm. and one night randomly I was riding a bicycle through central park in the rain. It was dark. I wore glasses at the time and my glasses were foggy because it was raining. And as I was riding my bicycle in the dark, wearing foggy glasses in a stroke of pure genius, I was brainstorming, why have I been given the gifts and the experience that I have? Um, and what, how can I leverage those to get where I want to go in life? Mm-mm. And as I was bicycling away, something happened in my mind. A shift occurred. I realized I was asking the wrong question. It wasn't about how I could get where I wanted to go, but how I could be of service. 
And in the dark, on a bicycle, in Central Park, in the rain with foggy glasses, Shay, I will not lie. I started to cry. Mm. And I, I cried. Now, fortunately, that story did not end with me crashing into a tree and dying. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> However, it shifted everything. Yeah. And the reason I say that story is because it goes as to the question that you asked. We've each been given gifts. We've each been given experiences. How can those be of service? So the one thing I ask is that everyone put themselves, anyone listening to this who's looking for their purpose, think about it in terms of how you can give to the world, not how it can get something for you. That's number one. Then number two, understand that the discovery of that and the journey there takes its own time. It does not operate on our time frames. And you ha- we have to go through that process and experience that in order to find out what that might be. The timing is going to be right. Absolutely. It's, you are going to have whatever you need in place to make it through if you have the confidence to believe that and if you trust that that's the way the universe works. And shape providence over and over, if you talk to people, does find a way who are truly looking to serve, to roll out the red carpet for them to be able to provide that service before they starve to death or end up in a desperate situation. And so those are the tips that I would have to someone who was looking to find their purpose. Don't be afraid of the bad that can happen. If you're seeking your calling and committed to it from a service perspective, time and the process will lead you there. Mm, Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And I completely agree with you. It is uh, how can you be used? How can your gifts, how can your experiences be used? How are you the vessel, right? Like how are you the vessel of, of light, of hope, of the person who made it through, you know, all the obstacles that we've talked about today. How can you share that and, you know, possibly inspire, empower another person? And Scott, you are a true uh, example of empowering other people. So thank you for all the work that you've done for riding your bike in the rain with fogged up glasses. <laughs> because that, in the dark. <laughs> in the dark, because that literally would have, that's the defining moment that that allowed you to see, Hey, it is a, it's not about me. It's right? truly not. It's not about me. Um, all of the work that I've done, it's not about me. Yeah. And, and you have to get there. And so many people, and if you're listening to the, well, I know you're listening to this. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, what is my purpose? I want you to take a list and write out, what is it that you've overcome? What are those things that you have gone through? that you have learned something. Um, and I'll share a story about me. So I was in an abusive relationship. And so when he, we talked the first time about domestic violence shelters, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. the, we are definitely kindred spirits here. I was in a, yeah. an abusive relationship. And within probably, I don't know, probably four, four to five months of getting out of that relationship, I had five women come to me out of nowhere that, you know, asked me, you know, that finally told me that they were in an abusive relationship 
And I use that word loosely because it could also be verbal and mental abuse. And it's not always physical like you think it is, right? It's a lot of manipulation, uh, neglect, uh, emotional um, uh, and being uh, emotionally unavailable. There's all of these ways that people are abusive. And when I would share with them the things that I learned, they were like blown away and they had no idea. Like I opened a door for them to walk through because they couldn't even see that they were being mistreated. And I knew when that happened that I had been in that relationship for the purpose of helping others get out of theirs. So what is it that you have been through that you can say that you went through it for the purpose to help others? So Mm -hmm. I love that that's what you're doing, Scott. Beautiful. Well, thank you. And And if I could, I'd like to briefly illustrate in opposition, which is um, the the example of what I experienced life when I was working for government, particularly as I began to reach the upper executive levels. I wasn't necessarily, as I mentioned earlier, connected with my purpose. My heart wasn't in it. Really, what I was concerned about when I was getting promotions was making more money, having more authority, having more autonomy, and being able to say, I am the XYZ title and have people's jaw drop or have them get out of my way or do what I want. Interesting. Because the higher up I got and the more and more deeply invested I was in that self-oriented way of thinking, A, the more unpleasant I was to be around generally, but B, the angrier and angrier I was inside. And, you know, I went through this period where I was always feeling like, you know, I don't care. The world is against me. Um, There's nothing but roadblocks. It's up to me to just push my way through to get what I want because no one is going to be on my side. I have to take what I can and I will, as opposed to now, with service orientation as the primary driver, exactly what has happened to you resources pop out of the air. People are attracted to you because they want to be around that person that's selfless, selfless. No one says, Oh, I can't wait to be around Scott. He is angry and, and only concerned with himself. People don't say that. No. And opportunities don't come to those who people don't like or who they don't want to be around. It truly is transformative. We're, we're social animal animals. That's a consequence of that. Mm, So true. So absolutely true. I believe that you are who you attract, right? So if you're attracted, if you find yourself in a room or surrounded by, maybe it's your family members you're surrounded by that are completely negative people, maybe you're the defining factor, right? When I figured out what I, when my abusive relationship and I started to peel away the layers and heal, I learned that I was being emotionally unavailable because that's Mm. all I knew. That's all I knew. I didn't know how to love. I didn't know how to express. I didn't know how to be vulnerable. I didn't know how to do any of that. And when I was able to peel away those layers and share, my dynamic of my whole family changed because they were willing to listen. Because I fully believe that when you invest in yourself and heal, right, or whatever it is that you need to go through, that it automatically overflows onto your family, your business, and your community. And that's what I was thinking, even as you were just talking now, this conversation has looped back to this whole idea of self-accountability. And tying into that, something else that I feel very, very strongly about, Shay, and that is any time 
our actions impact the lives of others, we're acting as leaders. And the implication of that, because humans are social animals, is that we're actually acting as leaders all the time. If you have a child, you're acting as a leader. leader. almost Right. If you're going to work, if you're on the subway or in your car and in traffic and you make a decision that impacts others against their will, right? You're acting as a leader. It's a micro level, but it is leadership. And so self-accountability, that's the defining trait of truly um, higher level, self-evolving, growing leadership that is able to invest in people and make organizations show really does involve self-accountability. If you think about it from the high, highest, most um, official levels down to the interpersonal, once you take that step and really view it as part of a continuum, your life will change forever, forever. Mm. 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 So true. So true. When you really acknowledge everything that you've gone through and how it is okay, your resiliency, right? It's okay to be a leader. So many people said, uh, I remember a time where a leader was kind of a dirty word for them, right? Like, oh, I don't want to be the leader because I don't want to be held responsible. Yeah. And what if it's that you're already the leader? You just have to now step into being okay with whatever that outcome is instead of holding it to a higher standard. What an amazing point. And I think that that's part of why I'm so fixated on this idea of we're all leaders anytime our actions impact the lives of others, because it does take away that stigma or that fear around leadership that people can have um, when we acknowledge that we're acting as leaders all the time. Yes. All of us are already used to being leaders. Every one of us. Absolutely. Wow, Scott, you have given us so many nuggets. I hope our, I know our audience is taking notes during this. <laughs> so uh, I've learned a lot too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know that you've stepped out now. You're you are an entrepreneur. You are a speaker. You're motivational. You have a podcast. So what is next for Scott Mason? Yeah. First of all, I want that podcast to grow. The idea of it being a space for people to share stories um, and to connect with their higher purpose in order to build a better self and a better world Mm -hmm. is something that I feel truly passionate about. I actually am going to be um, launching a company next year that is tied to that. And I hope to be sharing news about that with you as well as other people in my circle, as well as anyone who happens to listen to that podcast as it comes. Um, But I I think that it's something very excited. I I will just add one thing about that. The idea of self-development, and it's almost embedded in the term itself, sometimes can stop at the individual level. Hmm. I want to live a better life. I want to be happier. I want to be the best person I can be. We're all interconnected. The second part of it, and it's every bit as important, is building a better world. And Mm. God knows we all are going to need a better world as it continues down its current path. And and, and that's a lot of, by the way, what I um, consider so important about what you're doing. Mm. Because investing in people is also, from an organizational perspective, both within the organization and as they impact the the world outside, creating a better world. So that is what's next for Scott Mason. And y'all will be hearing about that. And hopefully um, I'll be able to be speaking on more podcasts like this or at events where they are looking for someone to talk about the issues we've been talking about. I mean, get them fired up and feeling good too. Awesome. I love it. And and I can't wait. I can't wait to hear more about it. So um, what would, so you have this amazing vision for really making um, the world a better place. So what do you want your legacy to be? What would you want to be remembered for? 
That is a good question. <laughs> you know, I would want my legacy to be someone, uh, someone who was given a particular set of gifts and a particular set of circumstances and still managed to not let them defeat him. Mm. You know, in a way, one of the greatest legacies of anyone I know is of the singer Gloria Gaynor who sang that song, I Will Survive. Yeah. So, you know, there are going to be new challenges as we come to the other side of the tunnel that we're in right now. There are going to be new problems. And I believe there's going to be more of a need than ever mm. for people to connect to their purpose so they can be prepared to wrestle with, to be honest about, and then to create something better out of the challenges that we're not only in now, but that are going to emerge as the fog lifts and the new, the new world that we're going to inhabit manifests itself. If I've been in a tiny way, a driver of people's ability to make sure that the pasture on the other side of the fog of the future is green, then Shay, you know, I'll be happy. Mm. Well, you are definitely a driver. You are a leader mm -hmm. and your, your presence has definitely been a gift, not only in this uh, few minutes that we've been together, but in the, in this world. So thank you for, yeah. for everything that you've done. You're very much doing the same. So I, all I can do mm. to that is reflect right back at you every last word. Thank you. So mm -hmm. where can people listen to this awesome podcast that you have and, and find more information out about you? Yeah, thank you. So there's a couple of places you can go. First of all, if you are a small business owner looking to grow and scale your business, go to www.scottmasonllc.com and there's a link to the podcast there. If you are interested in my motivational speaking services and believe that I can get you pumped up and, and have your hands in the air and ready to, to march out and change the world, then go to speakerscott.com and a link to the podcast is there as well. And I also have... Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask you about social medias. Yes. So I can be reached on LinkedIn at smason1 and Instagram, s.scott underscore mason. I actually have a two-minute video series that is motivational on both of those platforms related to leadership, actually, um, that I would encourage anyone to listen to just to get some thinking around it and hopefully be entertained at the same time. Awesome. 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 Well, thank you so much for your time today and uh, the patience for going through all the glitches that we had in the beginning. And uh, the one that was patient, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I always like to leave with this question of what is the phrase, scripture or mantra that you're living by right now? I believe that symbols create us. Hmm. And the reason why I say that is because once we have identified the symbols that we want to be, that um, allows us to have uh, a vision for creating our own future. Gene Wolfe was the one who said that. He's a sci-fi author, um, but who was also a literary titan. Mm, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here. And um, we will look forward to having you back again. Yes. Don't turn this off just yet. 
Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Do you have a compelling story and don't know where to start? Have you ever thought about writing a book and thought about writing the whole book is overwhelming? Well, we are looking for you. We want to connect and collaborate with other podcasters, coaches, and entrepreneurs who want to gain exposure. We are looking for other people who want to co-author a book with us. You can find out more details at firestartersbookproject.com.